We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Chris, talk to him. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206, and that's C-Kidd-206. Chris, you've been doing the show for a few years now. This has become one of our few annual traditions uh, that we do at least every off season is we have uh, one of our favorite guests. We have the homie Ben Baldwin. Uh, ben uh, holds many hats. Uh, if you follow him on social media, you either love him or hate him, I'm very sure. Uh, we love him on this show uh, for many reasons. Ben, what is going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, it, it is certainly a, a unique time to always be brought on right when the season ends and fans are kind of at their most uh, frustrated uh, slash depressed. Um, so... Uh, I, I'm sure there's a lot to get into, so uh, I'm excited to do this. Yeah, no, I mean, you. Uh, I think we called last year's episode the MythBusters one. Or maybe yep. that was two. Was that two years ago? We talked about Aaron Rodgers, and it was two years ago because yeah. last season it was yeah, more so last about year the, was the Pete Carroll one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was fun too. We're gonna revisit that one as well because the is Pete Carroll the right coach for this version of the Seahawks? Like, I think that that's a headline from January 2019 or 2020. You can just copy and paste into 2021 <laughs> <laughs> with very much the same arguments. We'll, we'll get to that, but I want to start with the second half of the Seahawks season on offense, including their wild card loss to the Rams, which was just a train wreck, you know, for lack of a better term, outside of a game against the Jets. I know you have a bunch of theories and like ideas into what happened. I say, well, if you had to start with, you know, the top of the list, what the hell happened to the Seahawks, you know, from weeks ten to eighteen? Yeah, I, I think there definitely is a list, and you, you've written about this a lot and talked about it a lot on the podcast, where there's not um, kind of like the defense from the beginning of the season. Like, there's not just one factor that you can point to to say, like, this is the problem, and here's how they can fix it. And if that were the case, I think people would feel a lot differently because then there'd be some sort of hope at a solution. So, like, when I was trying to think through various explanations for why this happened i i think there like there are some that we can just throw out as not really um meaningful but i, I think others that um, i think are somewhat convincing so number one is they pass protected really well in the beginning of the season um which was kind of a surprise because they like no one thought brandon shell was going to be as good as he was and then they were starting next to him a rookie um, and um, Ethan Posick, I think this this is his first year playing center, I think. Yep. Um, and the line was awesome for the first like half of the season, and then um, guys got hurt. They rotated in and out. Uh, I think they probably never really got to full strength. Um, so one thing that happened was Russ A didn't have as much time in the pocket, and B even when he did have time, I think he was uh, playing a little nervously, expecting pressure to come, which is totally understandable because the line especially in those rams games was not protecting as well and under pressure a lot um so that's one explanation of many um another one is um something we also saw in 2019 where midway through the season tyler lockett hurts his knee 
Um, this was something pretty sure is on this podcast that you talked about. Like halfway through the season, you're like, Tyler Lockett is just not going to be the same guy for the rest of the season because that's how these injuries work. And they have two real receiving threats, Lockett and DK. And when one of those is not 100%, there's just not the same fear that they can put into defenses when they only have one real explosive player. And that happened in 2019 as well when Lockett got hurt. Their offense struggled for a while after that. Um, another one that might take some unpacking is um, it, it certainly sounds from P. Carroll's comments that after all those turnovers midseason, he really uh, kind of put his fingerprints on the offense to make sure that they stopped turning the ball over. And this is one where it's really hard for us on the outside to know exactly what that looked like. Like, was it in the plays they called? Was it in the windows that Wilson was able to or willing to throw into like how exactly did that conservatism impact the offense I think it's hard to answer but knowing what we know about D. Carroll and how important turnovers are to him and what he said in that um, Monday press conference last week I think that was probably some degree a factor in what we saw uh, I'm almost done but <laughs> going through this list they played the Rams three times in about a two-month stretch, and the Rams have a really good defense. Um, and some of it is, like, they the deep shots that they're connecting on in the first half of the season, um, they were great, and Russell Wilson's a really good deep ball thrower, but those plays are like a basketball team that shoots a lot of three-pointers. Sometimes those plays are con- going to connect, and sometimes they're not, and they missed some shots in the second half of the season that if they had connected on, maybe we'd be talking about uh, a little bit differently, but they just didn't go their way. And here they are. Um, so <laughs> sorry, that was a very long monologue, um, but that, that's kind of my list. And I, I think the the primary things I'd point to are the locket and the pass pro and then Pete Carroll getting scared about turnovers. And the, the last one I'd be, you're the one that's more on the inside than me. So I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about how you think that might have affected them? I definitely well, Lockie getting hurt for sure. I mean, yeah, he did. I think he got hurt. He hurt his knee against the Niners in Week Ten of. I think it's the same week in both years. Wow, that's spooky. Uh, yeah, gets hurt. Gets hurt in the Niners week. in 2019 in the Monday Night Game, and then the Rams. Yeah, that same week this year. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of spooky. But then yeah, Lockie's <laughs> just not not really the same guy after that. He's still good. I mean, look what he did to the Niners in Week 17 of this year. He's still productive, yep. uh, but it's definitely not. The same, and he'll and he'll tell you that too. He won't make the excuse like publicly, of course not, right? No guy wants to do that. But even his 2017 season, after breaking his leg in 2016, he wasn't himself until like December, and he'll tell you that. Like he was after that season, he told me he was like, "Yo, I'm, I made it through the season. That's a win for me." After breaking my leg, you know, I can feel that when you're so high on painkillers that you don't remember Christmas. If you're just healthy for an entire calendar year, I can understand why you're just feeling good. Uh, about yourself uh, though I uh, for the most part Ben all of those it has to be a list you're right um, I am curious what you think about one person mentioned on that list though not necessarily explicitly is Russell um, how much of yep. just what happened in there I know there's a pass pro there's, there's receivers there's his coach but how much of it was just yo Russ ultimately just was not playing well yeah so that I I absolutely should have mentioned that and yeah so he in some, deg- in some games more than others, um, I think this is true, but um, yes, his surrounding circumstances were worse, but yes, even taking that in, into account, like his play did drop a lot. And there, there are a couple of games, I think the first Rams game is probably the most noticeable one where, like, I don't think Shadi really got outcoached in that game. Like, they had tons of opportunities. Even the Lions' pass protection wasn't that bad, but Wilson just... Like, he looked scared to throw the ball. There was that the play everyone remembers where he could have scrambled but threw the interception in the end zone. Just had all these, um, I think there were, like, a couple of very open checkdowns that he missed. Just had all these kind of head-scratching plays. Um, so starting from that game, I didn't think, like, they lost that first game to the Cardinals and the Bills game when he had a million turnovers. I didn't think he played that badly in those games. And the offense still put up a ton of points it was just starting from that Rams game where from that point onward we rarely saw the Russell Wilson that we've kind of grown to expect from that and the natural question is how much can we attribute the pass protection or 
lock it or be Carol in his ear telling him not to turn the ball over. Like those are, I think those are hard questions to answer, but regardless of what the answer is, we can, we can absolutely say, yes, Russell Wilson did not play how we expect Wilson to play for most of the second half of the season. Do you think there's uh, the sequencing that you tweeted about and even mentioned in your list was very interesting. Just playing the best defense in the league that many times in such a short span, like that's going to impact perception, of course, from uh, from fans, from even media too. Because I didn't even I thought about that, but I didn't really dive into it until you had mentioned it. It's like, yeah, they kept playing the Rams. They have Aaron Donald. Like that's a problem. The more you play Aaron Donald, the worse your your offense is probably going to look. Right? That's just that's science. I'm sure. Uh, how how much? How how big of a factor do you think that was? Not only just in the perception, but just in the just the overall production. Not only uh, just looking at it from the, how the fans may have perceived it, but even maybe what caused Pete to overreact the fact that they played the Rams so many times in a short span. Yeah, I think like you could think of an alternate version of the season where the schedule was a different way, and it it could change a lot about how we think of the season. So, like for example, um, I think. One of the things Pete said in his press conference was, well, we stopped scoring as many points, but we won all these games down the stretch, and winning games is what matters. But, like, what like he must realize this, but didn't say, was they also played just a bunch of awful teams, uh, aside from the Rams in that stretch. So, yeah, of course they're going to win games, but they had all these questions about the offense that were never really answered well. And um, going back to the Rams, like, if they had played the Rams, <laughs> uh, let's, let's say they... They, they started out the season letting Russ cook like they did, but two of their games in September were against the Rams and were disasters. Then, then that would probably be the end of let Russ cook even earlier. Um, so I, I think it does it does seem like in part a reaction just to like all these games close together against a really hard defense and then going out in the playoffs the way they did to a division rival. Um, it, like Carol just cannot have been happy about how any part of that went. The offseason kicked off, and Mike and I discussed bringing back Shoddy should be a priority. And we actually did an episode lamenting to the fact that, hey, Shoddy's the guy. He's done a pretty good job with what talent he has. You have an elite receiver in DK. You have a really good receiver in Ty Lockett. Sure, throw the ball. A few hours later, I get a text message. (laughs) Shoddy's been let go. In your opinion, based on what you've seen with the Seahawks this season, was that the right move to fire Shoddy or them going separate ways? Yeah, so this is really hard because if you had asked me like a week before the, the playoff game or something and said, um, would you be happy if the Seahawks replaced their offensive coordinator? I, I think I probably would have said yes. came out that were behind the firing like that shoddy was not conservative enough for Pete carroll like i think all of those are pretty alarming and in some ways a lot of what we found out afterwards has kind of uh i, I think vindicated is a little bit too strong but something like that um for shoddy where i think a lot of the things that people have pointed to as problems with this seahawks offense probably aren't really related to shoddy so I think, um, to answer your question, I, I think I would tend to agree that um, <laughs> with the podcast re- recorded beforehand where, like, keeping – I think keeping Shadi would have been fine, and I do not expect uh, the next offensive coordinator to be as good as him, um, but maybe I'll be very pleasantly surprised. We'll see. Do you think that Shadi was – maybe doing a little too much extra and that kind of ticked Pete off because, of course, Pete, this is his offense, this is his defense. He wants to run things sort of his way. And that's kind of the vibe Mike and I received from whether it be press com- post-game conferences, you name it. Did you get that same feel or was it just this isn't the right system for Brian, although he, he flipped it and did a bunch of great things with the Seahawks? What did you see from it? Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I, I think Pete has his – idealized version of how football should be played and how he wants his team to play football and what Seahawks football looks like. And I think Shadi, again, this is all from the outside, also watching press conferences and reading reports and things like that. I I think Shadi realized that 
it with with the personnel of this team, and especially with Wilson as a quarterback, um, being as conservative as Carroll wanted to be is probably not um, the answer for this team and, and the best way for them to win games. And we saw, I think it was Brady Henderson that reported this, that the, the argument over that fourth and one call was because Shadi wanted to put the ball in Wilson's hands and Carroll wanted to call a run play. I, I think that's kind of... Um, a good metaphor for uh, perhaps what was going on and and why Shadi is not with the Seahawks anymore. So if you had to, knowing what you have, like, have looked at with the data and, and the film, um, I, I don't think you get enough credit for watching the film, too, by the way. Uh, I think it, it seems, I think the on your on your site that I use uh, every day, it's pinned to, like, the top of my tabs, uh, is I think it's what football's not played on spreadsheets. Uh <laughs> Uh, is that what it's because it's, it's, it's just like conception anyone who's in favor of numbers just you know ignores the actual you know on-field aspect of it. and that's not the case like Ben will be sitting there watching film just like you know um anyone else based on everything you've seen from numbers to film what if you had to say, if they put you on the search committee you know pete calls you says ben i want you to help me find a new oc like what are the qualities in that guy the seahawks should be looking for yeah so i i think and this is probably going to be almost exactly the same discussion as um, our head coach search, uh, our ill-fated head coach search for the Seahawks uh, last offseason, um, where it, like I want it to be somebody who is willing to adapt all these principles from the college game and new stuff kind of trickling up into the NFL, where we, we watch teams like the Bills and the Chiefs and the Ravens, where they're, they're doing all these things possible to put their... Uh, the, the, the Packers to um, put their quarterbacks and their other players, but especially their quarterbacks, because that's what drives offense into the best position to succeed. And that's um, placing stress on defense through uh, motion and conflicts and making defenders think and react quickly. And that's where the offense has an advantage. And I, I think I haven't seen any signs that, Pete Carroll is interested in this way of thinking. It, it sounds like his his version of good offense is being able to line up and say, we're better than you, we're more physical than you, and we're, we're going to run the ball down your throat and then take, take some play-action deep shots off of that. And that's, I don't think that's really the, the best way to gain an edge, at least in, in this version of the NFL, um, in this version of the world. So I'd be looking for places um, like assistance to the McVeighs and Shanahan's of the world, like how the Packers found their head coach, and um, I can't can't remember. Did Arthur? I can't remember if Arthur Smith worked with one of those guys. Probably since <laughs> since everybody did, but kind of that um, vein of looking for people. And I don't have names off the top of my head, but that's kind of the direction I would go. Now we'll. Carol actually go that way, I would be shocked. So this is just all kind of wishful thinking. But um, so so was the um, the hypothetical coaching search last year. Yeah, no, I love the idea of like Ben just being involved. I wish you were sometimes. I, mean, I think when I wrote I wrote some article this year. I think it was that what happens if Shadi gets hired? Who should they use to replace him? Or either it was either that or something right after Shadi got canned. It was like they should just make Ben Baldwin the OC. And yeah, I, yeah someone in the yeah. comment section said that. Uh, I meant to screenshot <laughs> it and send it to you. Because um, I think I responded something like, uh, here's how the interview would go. Uh, like, hey, uh, Pete, we're going to, you know, we're going to maximize the passing offense. Uh, running backs are irrelevant. And then Pete just tells Ben to get out. Like, that's just <laughs> it'd be a very, very short convo, even though, like, there's probably similar conversations being had. Um you know, elsewhere in the league, I think like the Bills game, Ben, Ben, I'm sure you would agree, was a really good example of like dispelling a myth about how playoff football should look. Like, are there what are the Bills, maybe some other teams, doing not just like maximizing uh, the quarterback that could like that could help like maybe convince Pete, like, yo, your way of thinking about this is a little off and outdated in terms of what the rest of the league is doing. Yeah, so I really both teams in the AFC championship game, like they, they do a lot of um, like spread concepts, um, a lot of motion. They obviously throw, I think they're the two ha- past happiest teams in the league. So like even a year or two ago, there's, there's this idea that to be successful in the playoffs, you have to be like this physical running team. And that's the only style of football that can survive 
in these outdoor January games. And I think that the Chiefs have just destroyed this myth probably once and for all. And um, them facing the Bills in the championship game, one of these teams is going to end up in the Super Bowl and, and the Chiefs might be winning for the second year in a row. And I'm sure Russell Wilson is watching this saying, like, I think most people probably don't think Russell Wilson is as good as Patrick Mahomes, but if you are Russell Wilson, then you probably think that you are in that same tier and ballpark and you want your surroundings to be supportive like uh, the Chiefs have done for Mahomes. And, and I think Wilson even had comments like that after the Chiefs won the last Super Bowl. Like, we need to, we need to get some weapons and let's get going and let's do this thing. Um, the other... Uh, in the NFC Championship game, we had the Packers where they hired this coach who was has a lot more creative scheme, and they have almost exactly the same players around Aaron Rodgers, but all of a sudden, Rodgers, with this play action and putting stress on defenses, um, their offense has just gone to a new level, and it's just transformed him. But uh, if the Seahawks have the same coaching staff, then that's probably not going to happen uh, with Wilson. Would it make sense at this point just to for Pete just to take your take over as the play caller? We see in multiple conferences where he'd come out and say, Oh, I made that play, I made that decision, whether it backfired or it worked out. Are you inclined to say that, you know what, Pete, you just take over as the offensive coordinator, you or excuse me, call the offensive plays, have a guy to call the plays in? Would that make sense? Although there are questions on that, and if he should do it, but in reality, since it's Pete's show, why not just run it, Pete? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I think are so many things that a head coach has to worry about in a game that if you're not like a um, very, very, very specific offensive mind, then calling the offensive plays is probably a little bit too much. Um, but I, I agree with what you're getting at in that whoever Carroll hires, just like on defense, on yeah. offense, whoever Carroll hires as, as an offensive coordinator, he's going to hire him to carry out a very specific um, style of football that he wants to play. And, and just like you guys talked about midseason, whoever the defensive coordinator is, whether or not they keep Norton around, um, it, it probably doesn't matter that much just because Pete has his fingerprints all over the place. And I, I think even though Pete is a defensive-minded head coach, I, I think that's similar to some extent on the offensive side of the ball as well. You brought up two point or a point that I agree with because you look at Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, they are masterminds with the offense. And I don't know if Pete has shown that he is quite the mastermind when it comes to offensive play calling. I look at what both those teams do and how they use their weapons. And I look at Pete and I'm going, you have DK freaking Metcalf. Why not do some similar things you've seen with the Niners or even the Rams? Get him going in other ways instead of trying 48 go routes in a season get DK implemented other ways. Wouldn't that make sense as well? 
Yeah, and uh, going back to the Packers, watching them, like, do you ever worry about them getting Devontae Adams involved? Like, he, <laughs> he's, in the, he's in the middle of everything. And, yeah, people can say Adams is more versatile and probably better than Metcalf, but the Packers have figured out a lot of different ways to get him involved and constantly involved in the offense. And you could argue that they're, like, as a whole, their receiving weapons aren't any worse than the Seahawks, but they're just so much better at getting Adams especially, but all of those guys um, in advantageous situations. Yeah, I planned on, I don't know when I'm going to do it. Uh, one of these days I'm just going to spend the whole day watching how they get Devontae Adams so open, I mean, beyond him being an elite route runner, every week when the number two receiver, some weeks will be some dude I ain't never heard of. Like, I think Lazard's like, okay, Valdez Scantling, I don't know a ton about. But you know what I mean? It's just not like they're yep. trotting out the, yep. the, the the Avengers out there, and somehow Devontae <laughs> ends up with, like, ten catches a week. Yeah, and, they like, everyone knows that they want to throw him the ball at the goal line, and he still gets these wide-open touchdowns every week, too. It's, like, they what they do is it's very impressive. Let's let's jump back. Let's let's jump in the time machine a little bit here to twenty January of twenty twenty, where Ben Ben writes, "Yo, is Pete Carroll the right co- the right coach for this version of the Seahawks?" Um, you know, arguing arguing that he's not, and then I I jump in. I think a couple of days later, I argue that that he is. Um, and I looked really good there, Chris, for about <laughs> eight weeks. Where, because I mean, the main the main part of my argument there, because Ben made really, really, really great points. Um, you know, some that he's you know reiterated here. Um, my main, th- all I had really had in my back pocket was Pete's good at the hard parts of his job. You know, culture building. You know, getting the most out of players, which is really important when you're building so much of your team around like guys who are 21, 22, who are just really raw talents. Maximizing those talents is important. Pete's good at that part. He's good at the culture part and the philosophy and all that. Um, and then he's really bad at some of the stuff that other teams are, like, obviously good at. Time and Just when to use your timeouts or your challenges, for God's sakes. Man. Like, you know, they're bad at those things. But I consider those easier fixes. Um, even tweaking the offensive philosophy, I consider all that to be a lot easier than to, like, tear it down entirely and find someone who's good at all of those things Pete's good at and good at all the things that Pete's bad at. And then, Chris, through eight weeks... I was like, oh, damn, Pete did change. What do you freaking know? <laughs> like, this looks great. I was like, wow, this uh, this looks like a great a great move. But and then he said, gotcha. Yeah, then after after the <laughs> Buffalo game, he was like, oh, this is a six-hour flight. I'm going to think about some things. Uh, <laughs> and changed, and changed, changed his mind on the way home from Buffalo. Um, so now we, here we are again in January 2021 where more people than just Ben are asking, you know, that question. And I think there are even fewer people who <laughs> ride with the side I wrote last year just let's just dive back into that discussion ben is pete carroll the right coach for this version of the seahawks yeah so i think to start um i should definitely acknowledge that he he was more willing to change than i ever thought he would be so like i i thought the premise that the like he's good at a lot of things and just needs to change um a few things i i I didn't buy that because I thought there was no chance that he would ever change anything. And obviously that was wrong because he did like, they did come out and it looked different for a while. And then the, but here is that once things didn't go well and started going harder then he kind of reverted back to what he always wanted to do. And there's still like these other concerns that, well, so you mentioned like the time management thing. Um, I have this fourth down thought that I've been doing during the season and the decisions he made in the playoff game were the seventh worst game uh in the last seven years of playoffs so um like he definitely and and it wasn't just like punting when you should go uh what was the secret like they called a timeout and he was fighting with his offensive coordinator about the call and then they they couldn't get lined up and like this just disaster of a sequence and at this point i think it's it's probably hard to imagine that changing so between like between his philosophy and the in-game stuff and just like being skeptical about them actually constructing a roster that will actually support wilson like we've seen the chiefs and the bills and like all these other teams we we do i i think i feel pretty much the same as last year but of course, he has this huge extension where <laughs> like, it, it's not like he was going to be replaced last year. But this year, 
the, the contract is now there and it's going for so long that like he's going to be the coach and um, there's there's really no chance of anything else um, being the case. With what we witnessed through the first eight weeks of the season before everything kind of went south and when I got to Buffalo in regards to Brian Schottenheimer and Pete maximizing the talent they have with throwing the rock and making it look good, do you think bringing in a Doug Peterson where maybe Pete has some respect because he's a Super Bowl champion, of course, and he's proven to be able to run an offense and do it pretty well, do you think they can come to an agreement of kind of what we saw in the first eight weeks but instead it's through a whole season where, of course, you're still going to run the ball, but ultimately we're going to throw the rock. We have too much talent. Or is Pete really stuck in his own ways and what we saw in the first eight weeks was an anomaly? I, I think – and I think there was some comment from Pete early in the season, like it's easy for us to throw this much if we complete every pass or something like that. I, I think he said that after maybe the Atlanta game or like sometime in the first couple weeks of the season. So – like, I think he's willing to do it if it works well. It's just a matter of what happens when they hit the rocky patches and um, they, he has to decide if he's going to stick with it or not. Um, with Doug Peterson, yeah, that, that is somebody who, who definitely has the stature and prior achievement that somebody like Brian Schottenheimer doesn't have. But even still, uh, Carroll is so... Like, he has this very specific view of how football should be. He wrote, like, he literally wrote a book about it 20 years ago and, like, probably credits this philosophy and having one philosophy and sticking to it, like, all this stuff he, that he talks about a lot, a lot of the time. So it's hard to see him deviating much from that, even if there is someone like Doug Peterson. So I, I, I would be very happy if they hired Doug Peterson, which doesn't mean that it's going to work out, but compared to a lot of the alternative names I've seen floated out there, like Adam Gase, uh, I think that would be a pretty good outcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, my fear with Pete, well, my fear number one is like, dude, stay away from Adam Gase. Like, I just don't think, like, <laughs> that just doesn't, like, you shouldn't fail your way into, you know, going from Sam Darnold to Russ. You should have to earn that. Like, go go work with, like, Matt Ryan for a year or something like that. You just don't, that's just a lot of privilege to go from Sam Darnold to Russell Wilson. I think you should have to do more than have the worst <laughs> offense in the league and to get that bump. That's just me, uh, personally. But my other fear with with Pete is that, and and Ben can see this too with his fourth down bot. That is really good. Um, I follow the, the the fourth down account. Um, I follow uh, Edge Sports that like ranks all the coaches and basically all the dumb decisions they make. Like there's a lot of stuff that works uh, against Pete. But what it what it seems that when he explains his explanations for this kicking when he's not supposed to or whatever, is he's really focused on the result. Uh, more than the process, which is scary, and that's what Ben kind of just alluded to um, with the whole let Russ cook thing. Like, he was focused on, oh, wow, okay, we can throw the ball a lot if it works. You know, it's like, well, that's not necessarily how you should look at it, right? Like, no, you should you should focus on the process, not necessarily, you know, the the end result there. And that, and that scares me uh, a lot, because I think he's in a tug of war. This is really a question. I'm just kind of spitting some stuff here, but you know, I think he's in a tug war almost with Russ. Like, Russ is probably the same yep. way. Like, you know, we can run it if it works. You know, like, <laughs> if it if it gets me to as many championships as I want, then I don't care if they run it 50 times a game. I really don't – I really think that's Russell's mind. I don't care if we run it down the other team's throat. If we win, who cares? But if we're going to lose running, let's give throwing a try, you know, maybe longer than – Eight weeks. Yeah, however <laughs> however long it was. You, you know what I'm like? Do you get that same like feel from uh, uh, Pete, Ben, about like him being like so results-based? Yeah, I, I think that's right. He'll, like, if throwing works, then they complete every pass, and they score 35 points a game and don't turn the ball over, then, yeah, sure, he's going to say, yeah, let's do that, and we're winning games, and everything's great. But the, we saw this season, the second that they had um, – a bunch of turnovers come, then he reverted back. And even with the turnovers, a, a lot of those turnovers were when the Seahawks were down by double-digit points because their defense was so bad and Russell was trying to make something happen. And like that's not something that we should have expected to continue, even if the Seahawks just kept playing the way they always did. But they, like in those Bills and Rams games, I think both of them, the defense allowed 17 points in the first three drives. And when you're playing behind like that, from behind like that constantly then you're going to have some turnovers but once the defense turned around we should have expected the turnovers to 
drop off anyway, and the the extreme conservative conservatism in the offense just made it um, like they they stopped scoring points like they did in the first half of the season, and it's much harder to win that win games that way when you stop playing the the Jets and the NFC East. <laughs> you know, and I think well, really I never wrote this, but it was something I probably had in my notes and then scratched. Like you guys remember when Chris Carson was like fumbling a ton. Uh, yep. To start um, the twenty, I think it was twenty nineteen season, he was fumb- yeah, fumbling a bunch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he fumbled at Pittsburgh, like and resulted in, almost in a direct touchdown. He fumbled that resulted in a touchdown against the Saints. Yeah, it was. It was last year. Pete never changed his mind about how important running is, right? It's yep. like I don't care if my running back fumbles. You know, I I still believe in running the ball is a safer thing. Whereas, yeah, as soon as Russ was like, I'll pick, 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 pick in situations where most quarterbacks are probably going to throw picks because they're, they're trailing. It's like, whoa, wait a minute here. You guys want to throw what now? Hold on. That's that's yeah. a very scary thought, too. Actually, Ben, have you done any – has there been any research on this on, what, on, like, the safety of running versus the safety of throwing relative to the talent of the quarterback who is throwing? I don't know if that's the right way to word that, but you know what I mean? Yeah, so – yeah, so some some quarterbacks are better at protecting the football than others, obviously. And like Russell Wilson's track record is very good at not turning the ball over. And like just because you had all these turnovers in a couple of games where you were behind a lot, I don't think should to tell us that Wilson is like all of a sudden turnover prone. The and the the Carson fumbling thing is is a great point because like sometimes he's not results based. And and another example is. Like, after a fourth down punt that people criticize, there'll be people asking about it in the presser afterwards, and he'll say, oh, like, we, we felt good punting there and pin them deep, and then he'll just ignore what happened on the next drive, where I think it was this season, early in the season, they kept pinning teams deep, and then the other team would just go score a touchdown anyway. So <laughs> like, it, does, it doesn't matter if you pin teams deep if they can drive down the field on your defense and score anyway and you're still willingly giving them the ball and that's like it seems like he he's results-based but in a very selective way that like helps uh reinforce what he thinks about football you know shout out to uh shil kapadia i think she on shil's list of like uh uh, he wrote like a guide to finding a head coach. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, like seven steps or something. I think yep, one of them yep. is if the guy says uh, flip the field, get him yes. out of there. <laughs> I think that's one of them. Because, yeah, flipping the field is, is really irrelevant if your defense is bad. Like they're either just going to go 49 yards to score or 93. Like either way, if, they're def- score. <laughs> if their defense is bad, like they're probably just going to score uh, regardless. Let's roundtable this here. Like Ben's already answered the question, Chris. I'm going to pin it to you now. Yep. Is Pete Carroll the right, ver- right coach for this version of the Seahawks? Man, it's getting more and more of a challenge to side with you, Mike. And based on what we saw through the first nine weeks of the season – it was looking good, and then Pete said, pump the brakes, y'all. I'm going to do things my way, and it's my way or the highway, mm-hmm. and we see Brian didn't work out, and now you have a vacant position. And the biggest question for me is, when are they getting back to the Super Bowl? Because they have the talent to do so. We've mm-hmm. talked about this on the episode on episodes before with all the weapons they have offensively. Defensively, they figured it out. Jamal Adams, huge piece. Carlos Dunlap, a steal. They have it. They can also bring back Carlos Dunlap. Is Pete Carroll the right guy? I'm going to say yes. Will he continue to be? If you ask this question next year and we have the same result and we bring Ben back on and we're like, Ben, (laughs) your story has been accurate for the past two years. (laughs) You got to get Pete out of here. There there has to be some change for this team that's saying they want to be a Super Bowl team. They're a contender. If they don't win a Super Bowl, it's a bust. They didn't even make the Super Bowl the past two seasons. I get Green Bay two years ago. Okay, I understand. Green Bay was a better football team. This season, offensively, they had the talent. Defensively, things were clicking. And then they don't even get out of the wild card. That is a problem. This is my last year sticking up for Pete. And, Mike, I hope it's the same for you. Yeah, so I guess that yeah, it just leaves me as the third talking head. Um, let's see. I, I'm going to go with yes as well, though I'm at this <laughs> point willing to admit, and I wrote this in my uh, piece last year too, that I think my answer is almost built entirely out of fear. Just fear of the unknown, mm. like fear that whoever they get will be bad at the things that are really essential that Pete was good at, even if it's just stuff behind the scenes that we just don't know. The stuff that the the play, his former players talk about that is so different uh, 
than you know other places like what we hear from guys like Quandre or a Carlos Dunlap or a Cliff Averill or um you know Jamal Adams who come from these other you know franchises get here and they're like wow this is like the four seasons compared to this Motel 6 I was just living in right <laughs> and that's Pete that is Pete who cultivates that and I don't know how to quantify that in terms of wins and losses or player development I just know I've talked to enough dudes wearing Seahawks jerseys that say it matters so I have a fear that that's just going to not be a thing with whoever they hire, even if that dude knows when to go for it on fourth down. You know what I mean? Like, you get what I'm saying there, Ben? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, yeah, I, I agree that stuff's important. And, like, getting those players matter. Like, Car- Carlos Dunlap was – they got him for basically nothing, and he was a great player for them. And, like, I'm sure he ha- uh, Carol had a hand in – uh, identifying and developing DJ Reed and like all these players that play important roles for them. And then it's just a matter of weighing that against the, the other side of it. And, and that, that's what makes it such a fun conversation is that people like we all agree on what the trade-offs are and that it's kind of hard to measure the trade-offs and especially hard to measure the benefits he brings, which are real, but difficult to measure. And then we, just have these interesting conversations every year. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's that Pete's bad at the things that are really good to easy to measure. Like, <laughs> like, like, should you have kicked it? No. You know, like, you know, should you be throwing more? Yes. yes. Like all these things that we can quantify. Or it's like, do your players love you? Yes. But it's not really a love quant. You know, there's no spreadsheet for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no film for that. It's all anecdotal, and it's hard to gauge with how much that matters to which dudes and what impact you know that that has so that that is it, that's the tricky part with pete but i am willing to acknowledge it like you know, i'm mostly just afraid that the person they pick especially when you have someone like jody allen who's so hands off like does she just hire yep. some r- random search firm that just goes and finds some dude you know like that's that's important too i'm factoring in all that when i'm like get rid of the dude because if you get rid of someone you should have a replacement like yeah i firmly believe in that whether that's your quarterback your oc your dc your head coach whatever like you get rid of somebody you should have a replacement um so that's that's kind of where i'm at with it i'll spend one more question at, at all three of us before we get out of here i'll start with ben ben do the seahawks just get back to a super bowl with the with uh, pete carroll and russell wilson here at the same time Ooh, that's hard um i think the the most probable answer is no just because getting to a super bowl is really hard and there's all these other nfc teams and even NFC West teams that know what they're doing, like the if, if the Rams or 49ers and maybe the 49ers will be looking this offseason ever like get a real quarterback, then the Seahawks are going to be <laughs> in real trouble, even in their division, much less trying to figure out ways to get past the, the Packers and Bucks and Saints and like all these other teams. All right, Chris, what you got? I don't know. I don't want to put a time frame on. I know Russ is on through 2023. I don't think he can be franchise tagged, so that would be it. And then there's Pete's on through 2025. But this, just while Pete and Russ are together, two most important people in the franchise, while the marriage is still there, do they get to a Super Bowl? It doesn't mean they have to win. I'm just saying, do they even get there? This question was floating through my mind pretty much the whole show. And then you ask it, and I'm like, damn it, Mike, I was hoping you wouldn't put that on me. <laughs> or Ben himself. And this is, like Ben said, this is a really hard one. I think it's going to revolve in – we say luck a lot. It's going to involve a lot of luck because of what Pete is asking for. He's asking for his team to be able to run the ball at a high rate. Defenses have figured him out, and they're going to come out with these two highs, which means two safeties. Sure, you can run the ball on me, but we're not going to allow you to throw the ball. And we saw that with the Rams. And next season, the Niners are going to be healthy. <laughs> presumably. We'll Pres- see. Yeah, presumably. Correct. They're going to be pretty damn healthy with that D-line returning. And if they can get a quarterback, as Ben mentioned, that spells trouble because now every team knows what the Seahawks want to do. And Pete's going to stay in that philosophy, it seems. I will go on a limb and say I think they can get to the Super Bowl. Mm. I think they can. Will they is another question. So mm. I just gave you Yeah, you, a, you skated I, I da- around I, that. I did the Russell Wilson. I danced around it, and I'm giving you that answer. Yeah, is that okay, Mike? I don't know. That, sound, that sounds like a no. What do you th- Should we accept that answer, Ben? <laughs> Make it a, a yes or a no. <laughs> yes. Do they do? Will the Seahawks get to a Super Bowl with Pete or uh, and and Russ together? Yes or no. Yes. All right. There we go. There we go. Thank there you, Ben. <laughs> help help helped out with that. I'm I'm gonna jump in and and conclude it with 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 no. Um, I just think that yeah. I think the point Ben makes about the rest of the division. 
they're all just a quarterback away. It feels like, well, except Arizona, I think they have their guy. But like, even if the Rams just get <laughs> someone who like doesn't stink, <laughs> they'll be. He just has to not stink, to be honest. Like that's all Jared Goff really did in 2018 was not stink, um, and be really efficient on his first read uh, off play action. Like that was really. Really it. And then their defense was good. And, and uh, their O-line was fantastic as well. Like, if the Niners were to get, like, Deshaun Watson or oh, even, like, man. get – if they were, like, go get Dak um, or something like that, like, goodness. Trouble. Like, no, everyone's toast. Toast. They're absolutely toast. You give, like, Dak, George Kittle, and Debo Samuel and um, was the, the rookie they had that got oh, hurt. Oh, Brandon Ayuk? Brand, yeah, yeah, Brandon. Yeah, curtains. Curtains for the whole rest of the – It's been a the good whole year. Rest of the division. Yeah, yeah. Yep, hang the banner. Hang the banner in September. So I'm I'm gonna say no. Um, I, I just yeah I don't. This is another one that's kind of just out of a fear of everyone else. I think New Orleans is gonna take a slide. They don't have any money and they don't have a quarterback, so they're gonna get screwed for a little bit here. Uh, Tampa Bay. I don't know what their long term hopes are. Their quarterback's 55, so <laughs> they got they got some issues there. Uh, so I don't know. And Green Bay's quarterback's old too. So the future like there's there's room there, but then yeah, what who comes next? The Kylers or whoever else is drafted into the the NFC that that fig- figures it out. So yeah, I'm 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 skeptical. I don't think it happens. Um I think luck matters a lot too. You need the ball to bounce your way. I think today that we're recording is the anniversary of the tip. Yeah. Um that that Sherm has and I, I can't remember when it was and I was talking to Sherm about that and I was like even that like that's a great play by you. And I was just like like there's a reason why you're great. Like if you were just even an average corner or a shorter one with yeah, shorter arms, not even touching the it. Niners go to the Super Bowl. Like the ball just flies over your hand. Like even if you made the right play, the ball goes over your hand. A little bit of luck. For example, you put DJ Reed there. The ball just sells. Yeah, up. even if DJ's in the perfect position, the ball just sails over his head. Ball, ball game. game. Ball game. <laughs> it's it, it's over. So I think they need so much they need another generational talent on defense or offense. Doesn't really matter which side. Um so I think they would need that, need that luck. Um, they would need Pete to turn another corner philosophically. They just need all of these these things uh, to bounce their way. They probably need to get the one seed in this new playoff format, which is very hard to do. Um, so yeah, all of these things. So uh, I think we just we're gonna end this with some doom and gloom here on the part of the <laughs> for for Seahawks fans. But I do think that like we're all being real. Like this is what we think, and not to please the fans necessarily. Just you know, give you guys what we what we think. It's it looks a little gloomy unless Pete Carroll just has like a super super big change of heart. Um, here, but uh, to end things, want to thank uh, the homie Ben for jumping on the show with us for the annual tradition. We really appreciate it, man. I want you to do two things. I want you to shout out some of your fourth down uh, stuff that you have on Twitter, and I want you to shout out your website that people can find if they want to really become a nerd on this football stuff. Because that's what I've become. Uh, and thanks in part to you. Yeah, so I I have this fourth down bot um, that. I originally wrote up for the athletic and now it just, whenever there's a fourth down, it, it tweets what um, it thinks coaches should do. And it's actually been fun in the playoffs because there have been a, a lot of very visible, very bad decisions. Um, and um, the, I, I think the biggest one was the, the Titans were down two at the Baltimore, like 40 yard line in the fourth quarter on fourth and two. And they, like they want to be this physical football team, and they have Derrick Henry, but they punted, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so it goes uh, for a lot of these games. Um, so that, that's been fun to watch. And then the other one is um, I have this website um, RBSDM, which I originally was just thinking about. Running backs don't matter, and um, made it into the shortest format I could. And it's the idea is that. Um, I, I think looking at EPA per play and completion percentage over expected and, and things like that, I, I think are useful ways to understand what's happening. And it was very difficult to access. Um, so like it, it's lame of somebody to say, you should use these stats, but if they're not easily available, then nobody's going to use them. So that, that wasn't helpful. So I, I wanted to make it as easy for people to access and use them uh, as I could. And I've been glad to see kind of stats from there floating around um in mike's work and in a lot of other places as well so that's been fun this season so uh thanks for using it oh yeah no i appreciate it i didn't even know that's what it stood for that's funny I, i've been meaning to ask you that because i get the i get the acronyms mixed up now i just now i'm gonna remember running backs don't matter don't matter that's that's hilarious so that's rbsdm.com great site um you'll see a lot of i cite it all the time in, in my work and then the, the the at name of the fourth down bot that ben's mentioned is ben underscore bot 
underscore Baldwin. Again, great, great stuff there. And it's not just me and other writers using it. I'm pretty sure. What didn't didn't Dalvin Cook's agent tweet out like EPA <laughs> stuff that you that you did before they signed their deal? Didn't do I have yeah, that right? I, I tweeted out. I was just playing around with some on off stuff. Um, and one of them was that uh, when Dalvin Cook was on the field last year in, in 2019, their EPA for play was much higher. And somehow their agent found this and threw it up on his Instagram um, and then eventually got uh, a very large contract um, <laughs> of which I have received uh, zero money. <laughs> <laughs> and th- there's, there's one more in there. Too. Didn't the, the, uh, somebody on the bills, didn't someone on the bills say that like they, they used uh, some of your work in decision-making or something like that? Oh, uh, so this, uh, this, when uh, Kevin Stefanski was at the Vikings, um, he according to bill barnwell read my piece on not needing to establish the run before using play action and he's used play action a lot so um i'm happy to take a very tiny amount of credit for that one <laughs> there we go i mean it's not as i'm saying guys it's yeah football's not just played on a spreadsheet but spreadsheets help mm. i'll put it yep. i'll put it that way like they, they they it's all info it's all it's yep. all it is it's all just info chris i've mentioned how many times that scene from remember the titans uh, on this oh, show man. when the dude when the math teacher comes in and gives him all like the tendencies of the other team <laughs> And he's like, oh, we'll be great. We'll be much better now. It's like, well, what do you know? Analytics. There it is. <laughs> in the 60s in Virginia or wherever the, the hell that was. So, like, we encourage you guys listening now to go go check out all the Ben stuff, man. And really, really appreciate the insight. It makes me a smarter football fan. It forces me to do more research than usual, not just look in one place. I use, like, four different websites to come to, an, to a conclusion now, even if it's, like, a small thing. Like, oh, Tower Lock, it's good. Based on A, B, C, and D from four different tabs <laughs> that I yep. have that I have open. So thank you, Ben. We appreciate you jumping on the show with us. We look forward to uh, hopefully a different discussion next January, <laughs> man, <laughs> uh, about about the Seahawks. Man, we appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. We're out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.